Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? So have you been receiving strange phone calls? A little bit. What def- In what way would you define a strange phone call? Strange phone call meaning a number that I do not recognize. With a stranger on the other end. Now, what do they hmm. say? Like, hello, is Marcus there? <laughs> like, is it like the Men in Black thing where they go like, is Gwen Stevenson there? Um, uh. Now there's a Greer Riverton here. It's like, <laughs> Gwen Stevenson? Um, I've been experiencing, I've been ex- experiencing quite a bit of high strangeness. Like what? Really? I, uh... Since talking about it in the last episode, or maybe it was the first episode of the Men in Black series, about my, I'm going to say, dream uh-huh. of a man in flannel, in a red and black checkered flannel shirt, standing at the foot of my bed with a kind of like mushroom cut, um, hmm. with eyes, his face reminded me of Michael Ironside, the cover of uh, Scanners. Yeah. Um, that's like a thing. Yeah? That's like flannel, a a flannel shirted guy? Yeah, that's the thing that people see. It's like a, it's like an actual apparition. Really? I was listening to a podcast called Strange Familiars that also had collated a bunch of people talking yeah. about it, and also the same thing. Uh, it's in Mothman Prophecies as mm-hmm. well. John Keel mm-hmm. drops it off, so I'm like, um, I'm seeing him. Is it possible that you're just seeing a working class hero? <laughs> because that's what that's what flannel men wear. Anyway, this is the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. There's Marcus Parks. Hello. In studio, he traveled all the way from beautiful Los Angeles to be here. I did it. You did it. I did it. And oh, what a miracle it is to be big. Um, I will. But honestly, I'm pretty spooked. Yeah, dude, you should be, man. I mean, I'm a union man. I'm not afraid to get mud on my hands and, well, and dirt in my creases. You're the SAG union on the actor side, so <laughs> I don't know if that's really... It's a union. Feel these hands. Feel how no. coarse these hands are from reading scripts. <laughs> Honestly, the softest <laughs> thing I've ever felt. Yeah. Wow, that's like Mr. Burns' body yeah. uh, from The Simpsons. <laughs> All right, so we're on to our third... Um, I, I, what do you call it? A third uh, episode of The Men episode. in Black. It's <laughs> I don't know why the word episode I could not think of. <laughs> We're on episode three of the Men in Black series. That's a a lot of stuff to get to. Early onset dementia. Yeah, 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 you'll be fine. So the last two episodes, we've covered sort of like the origins of the idea of the Men in Black. Um, And we covered the two people that were kind of mostly responsible for where the idea Mm. of the Men in Black came from. Albert Bender. We talked about, we talked with Gray Mm. Barker. Gray Barker. With Gray Barker. Mm. And 
the so this is kind of the original 1950s leanings, but we never really we, we, like we try to sprinkle a little bit of like what they're like in action. Yeah. And the man who really fucking discovered what they're like on the ground and what these their day to day is like. Right. Was written in a book called The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel, which is not just about Mothman. It's also about mosquito people and uh, <laughs> there's a series of different jokes I could make. That is very um, triggering. I know. I know. Me. I actually have to tread very lightly here because I know you're very serious about this subject. And now I'm in the room. Right, right. Just like, you, and you got gripping hands. <laughs> so remember, our men in black tulpas, creations of the things that Albert Bender put into the psyche of the American people, and then we are proliferating them with our own imaginations? Right. Or are they the fingers of the Black Lodge inching down the panties of the American people till they get to the little clint? Oh my goodness. All slam right. it with their fucking little weird okay. thumbs. Leave Lady Liberty alone. All right. You know what? Tulpa, though, what I realized, Freddy Krueger. Ah. He's a tulpa. He only exists I if just, everyone remembers him. Sorta. Sorta. The thing what about a that? tulpa. Okay, okay, I don't even... We'll do remember this off air then because... No, the, remember, a tulpa can be seen in real life. So yeah. can Freddy. Remember Freddy part two when he's at the beach part or the pool party? No, he gets brought in. Yes. And that's a dream. It's always a dream. No, yeah. not the pool party when he actually got brought... We, we no, are way off track here. But when he was in there, a dream she had to kill it. No, that, no Freddy really versus did. Jason, that is when he gets actually brought No, the brought pool party, he was pulled in. He was at the party. The hot dogs were there. Actually, I would say that he is correct with uh, New Nightmare. In New Nightmare, yeah. Freddy yeah. is yeah. absolutely well, a tall It's happened many times. Okay, there we go. I'll Take it, Marcus. <laughs> no, you're you. actually correct. No, uh, Freddy Krueger is absolutely a tulpa new nightmare. Nailed it. All right, so what we're going to talk about today, where we're going to begin, is we're going to begin with the Mothman, and we're going to go from there. Now, the Mothman is something that we have talked about many times throughout the last seven years, but we've never done like a full Mothman deep dive. Cool. So now we're going to get, this is going to be about a... Uh, Five foot dive. Oh, don't die! Don't head first. This one, yeah. jump in feet first. This is just the tip. Okay, into Mothman. All right. Now, the Mothman was a gigantic winged creature with glowing red eyes that allegedly terrorized the small West Virginia town of Point Pleasant from late 1966 until the end of 1967, spreading fear and, in some cases, severe conjunctivitis. That Mothman give you the dookie fever. Well, what is conjunctivitis? Pink eye. It's pink eye. It's pink eye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was that town doing in the bedroom? Yeah. That's what I want to know. They were rationing. Their toilet paper for our boys in Vietnam. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for what you're... Everyone served. Everyone served. Honestly, to have been in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in the 1967, so much weird shit was happening all at once. You got John Keel running around with a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat and just filled with just like shaking women. And John Keel was always holding them and comforting them, being like, I'm used to going around in TNT areas at night because I face fear with both eyes and both feet my belt. Firmly off my pants. Now, what's so John Keel? He was a professional paranormal researcher. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Among the, mo- I would say among the premier paranormal researchers okay. of the time, he was the guy that wrote the Fickle Finger of Fate. Oh, yeah. I like him. Uh, still, one of my one of my favorite quotes of his is that he's like, I was speaking to a woman that was real slender. 
So slender, in fact, there's no way she'd win a Raquel Welch look-alike contest. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the fickle finger of fate also sounds like a way you can get conjunctivitis. <laughs> Be very careful out there, folks. <laughs> now, we don't have time to go through all of the sightings of the Mothman one by one, but just know that the entire year-long saga culminated with the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15th. Also understand, mm. it is a lot fucking weirder yeah. than you think it is. Because the Mothman prophecies the movie with Richard Gere, yep. uh, the human hamster wheel, he is not a person <laughs> not that... True. I know, it's a fun... It's, it'll never be, be old. Never be, but the, if that's not how it goes. The Mothman is something that is... Uh, it appears in many different fashions. There's a lot of high strangeness that was happening during the time period as well. Hmm. And it was just like a dude, the way they would say it, with... Big protruding, big floppy red eyes sticking out of it, mm. and it would stare at you, and then the wings would unfold from behind it, and then it would just rise to the sky, and right. then it could also f- follow you. It's fucking weird shit. Yeah, yeah it, it would follow cars on like high speed chases, and a lot of it hap- a mm. lot of the activity happened around an old TNT factory, an old abandoned TNT factory. Really? Like the kids would go, you know, they drink and have parties and all that type of shit. But for some reason, a lot of it was cer- centered around this specific area. No kidding. A lot of dome talk. Yeah. The Nobel Peace Prize was actually created by someone who uh, found made his living off of creating TNT, and then oh. he felt really bad, and now he gives people uh, little necklaces. <laughs> <laughs> it made up for it. It does. It really it does. totally makes up for it. Well, what, you know, like I said, the whole thing culminated in the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15th. 46 people died Ooh. in that collapse, and the sightings of the Mothman have been sporadic ever since. But the Mothman was not the only strange creature to haunt Point Pleasant in 1967. Hmm. Yeah, old Toby Richards. Oh! <laughs> yeah, they call the pocket sniffer. Oh, no! Keep those pockets clean. So for that entire year, numerous people in and around Point Pleasant had encounters with the men in black. Hmm. Although I will say it's very difficult to ascertain exactly what the men in black's purpose was. I think that we covered it a little bit in the last episode. It is paranoia in action. Mm. It is the, it's literally the the representative of high strangeness. They show up because, like, what else was happening in, during, uh, at Point Pleasant at the time period in West Virginia? Buckets of UFO sightings. Uh, gigant, mm. not just Mothman sightings, but gigantic birds uh, uh, poltergeist activity, the whole thing. That town was going nuts for yeah. an entire year. Yeah, it sounds horrifying. Oh, yeah. So yeah. let's get into some of those UFO sightings because that's what we're mostly going to focus on today is not the Mothman, but everything that was happening around the Mothman that isn't as, yeah. uh, doesn't fit on a t shirt, you know? It sounds sort of like the, uh, the, the town that the Monster Squad took place in at this point. It seems like the portal of hell has opened up or something. It's like that. And it was uh, maybe a little bit colored. By John Keel, yeah. but I will say that he—it's uh, just—he was in the center of all of this craziness, and then mm. like he kind of just accidentally birthed the modern idea of the Men in Black uh, with his book and with discovering these fucking weird little dudes showing. Okay, so in the same month that the Mothman showed up, November 1966, what Jim Keith—Jim Keith being the guy that wrote Casebook for the Men in Black. What Jim Keith called a quote unquote professional woman. <laughs> that's, very, that's very nice. She had shoes on. Yes, very good. He had she had the first localized run in with a strange character in Gallipolis, Ohio, just a twelve minute drive away from Point Pleasant. 
Gallipagus. <laughs> what a place to visit. It's Is either, it Gallipolis? It's either Gallipolis or Gallipolis. Gallipolis? Gallipolis. <laughs> you know it's something else entirely, and we're going to get yelled at. It's yeah. going to be like Gully Belize or like some dumb shit. We've got the nation's most shallow pool. Come wait in it. So the professional woman said one night she was almost blinded by a flash of light as she was walking out of her office building. Mm. And when her eyes refocused, she saw a large, noiseless, cylindrical object land in the parking lot. She said two men with pointed noses, pointed chins, high cheekbones, and dark complexions walked out of the craft wearing coveralls. Hmm. They approached her and asked her a few personal questions, then seemed to get stuck on one phrase. They love the personal questions. Yeah. There's, a, it's a, there's something about asking them, like, where do you live? What is this city? Are you married? Like, very strange. And then, again, what we've talked about in the previous incarnations of the Men in Black and the other examples, you seem to kind of be opening up against your will. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is a perfect commercial for the tactical flashlight. I think that really could have saved her in this situation. Because you know George Norrie's already spinning this. And I'm certain that he has spoken with Jim Keith and he has spoken with uh, any derivative of John Keel yeah. since then. Being like, have you ever thought that maybe the men in black would be truly scared by my seven-foot tactical flashlight? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make that money somehow. Well, over and over again, these guys asked the woman in a high-pitched sing-song voice, quote, What is your time? <laughs> what is your time? Even worse, these episodes haven't been about the men in black. They've been about musical theater nerds. <laughs> oh, the real horror is out there, and it's real. So when the professional woman had no answer, the two men got into their craft and flew away. But hmm. interestingly... The professional woman saw the same two men dressed in normal clothing walking the streets of Gallipolis later on, and both of them simply nodded to her and kept walking. We Ooh. saw our answer on the internet. It <laughs> is peanut butter and jelly time. <laughs> Great song, very catchy, and who doesn't love that kind of time of the day? But it's very strange, because it goes back to speaking to the idea that Jacques Vallée says that UFOs and these kind of experiences are supposed to help help us consider our own place within the universe, mm -hmm. um, which essentially means like they're asking about time to make us think about time. What is time? Right. What does it matter if I'm late? What does it matter if I take off my pants right now? Sure. Yeah, I ate a bunch of edibles before walking out the door today. <laughs> right. Who gives a fuck about Mark? I yeah. hate my stupid boss. I think you might be on that Martin Lawrence weed if that's, uh, <laughs> if that's happening. Deep cut to his life. So you're saying that UFOs are traveling back in time to tell us to relax? Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. Fucking yeah. take a, a chill pill, man. And yes, maybe we'll scoop out right. some of your fucking eggs uh, or put a dick sucking machine on you so sure. that we can make our people stronger. Frankie. But at least you got to be fucking yeah frankie says relax frankie says relax huh all right well i like that about them though. oh yeah that's fine yeah well after that last encounter with the cylindrical object that january a woman named mary hire who was most responsible for local mothman journalism Ooh. got a visitor to the athens messenger where her weekly column was published she is a she took to this role Ooh, as yeah. soon as she became like the funnel for all UFO information this I don't I honestly couldn't find a picture of what she looked like okay but I do imagine you know beautiful in every single <laughs> I, way I just imagine yes. it's the teapot from Beauty and the Beast well, <laughs> who doesn't love that yeah. who doesn't love that I imagine her getting up for work in the morning bringing her driver's seat chair up you know her entire car is covered with uh, 
uh, old uh, coffee cups and, and newspapers and just like, gotta go to work. And she's already in the parking lot of the job because she doesn't have a home. <laughs> yes, so yes. she's always early. She's ready is, to go. If you never leave, you can't be late. Well, she had already had a column in the Athens Messenger before all this shit even started cool. about like weird shit that went on uh, in the area. Uh, it was called, I think, Where the Rivers Meet or Where the Waters Flow or something like that because Point Pleasant, and this is also an interesting hmm. paranormal thing, is that Point Pleasant sits on the foot where two rivers the Ohio River and another river meet and a lot of times uh, paranormal activity we know will occur around bodies of water and a lot of paranormal activities occur at these uh, you know Medium point. Forks of uh, cool. rivers. Also at natural gas deposits, like our U.S. government. <laughs> <laughs> Man, full of hot air. Woo. Well, Mary said the visitor she got at the Athens Messenger was only about four and a half feet tall, had black hair cut in a bowl style, wow. and you wore shoes with thick soles along with thick black glasses. Now, I wonder... Mm. Could this have been, and this is just speculation, okay. could this have been the dwarf from the Black Lodge? Oh! I don't know if he was working then. Isn't that a little <laughs> bit tall for the dwarf, though? Wasn't the dwarf like two feet tall? Well, no, I'm not talking about the literal guy oh, who okay. played the dwarf oh, in okay. Twin Peaks. I'm talking about, because remember we talked in the last yeah, yeah. episode, we talked about the moon child, and we talked about what Aleister Crowley said was actually in the Black Lodge, and one of those was a dwarf who loved music. So it's possible that... This dwarf could have been the dwarf from the Black Lodge doing a little mm. bit of groundwork. Well, yeah, well, he's technically, he's more of like a phantom of the super spectrum of the of the little person from the Black Lodge. Yeah. Could be. Could yeah, be. He's <laughs> like an ultra fucking spiritual digital copy. Yeah. He also maybe um, reminds me of the looking like a man woman from Mad TV. Could be. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's a failed child actor. They always grow real weird. Yes. <laughs> Head first. Yeah. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. Shaki Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right. Give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with 
horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Well, Hire said the man opened by asking for directions to a nearby town, but he soon became transfixed on a ballpoint pen laying on her desk, hmm. picking it up and looking at it like he'd never seen anything like it in his life. You seen these people? You seen these people the fucking bank? <laughs> what are we, all day? Huh? Yeah. We get all fucking day? <laughs> it does remind me of Henry's bit. I think it was during uh, Picton where... Oh, hey, you, hey, look at this pen. Look yeah. at it. Look at it. Stits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a funny bit. <laughs> well, hire. She told him it's just a ballpoint pen. She said, right. "Just keep it. Yeah, just oh. keep it." Because she was just trying to get him out of there so she could get back to work. Yeah, because he's a weird little backwards man <laughs> sitting there, just like staring, click, 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 and she's just like, "All right." Now, weirdness does make me horny. My name is Mary. Hi, hello. But honestly, this is not the time. Meet me at 6 o'clock at happy hour. Please get out of here. Sure. Well, he wanted it more than she needed it. Well, as soon as she offered up the pen, he let out. She said it, it was <laughs> like a high-pitched shrieking cackle. And that man, that man went on to be the president of TD Bank. He has so many pens. And then he just scurried out the door, clutching the pen in his hand. Oh, I wish to be so happy over such a small item. Yes, he's truly at peace. Again, the yes. aliens are here to say, Frankie, say relax. All yeah. right. All right. Well, soon after that, Hire started getting the telltale men in black phone calls. You know, the ones where mm. she'd answer the phone and there'd either be nothing but silence or there'd be like electronic noise or there'd be like these intermittent beeps. Mm -hmm. uh, but nobody would, no actual person would be on the other end. John mm. Keel actually brings up a good point about the beeps, um, which is then a thing he would go on to ask. Every single time he would meet somebody that had a UFO experience, either had a sighting or an abduction, he'd say, are you getting calls with beeps mm. and weird breathing on it? And they would say like, well, a lot of times they do hear the beeps. But with a, a lot of times, people who remember abduction scenarios, it starts with a series of beeps. Mm. So what if the beeps over the phone are hypnotizing you, essentially like getting you, like it's like a pre-suggestion for when later on you are walking, or maybe it's a post-suggestion. I don't know all the it's fucking a prefixes. Suggestion. <laughs> it's a suggestion. Sure. Uh -huh. And then you walk in and you hear the beeps again, snap into trans, snap into trans state. 
And aliens just come scoop you up, scrape your eggs, and toss you back on the street like the Hillside Stranglers. Now, this is a serious question. If John Keel leads with that, have you heard the beeps? Have you heard the static? Is it possible he's suggesting those things to the people and then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no. I've heard the beeps. No! <laughs> Creating a world where the beeps exist. No! No! <laughs> I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. He also had a very... Uh, in-depth breakdown of the difference between heavy breathing calls uh, uh, that you get from a men in black and okay. the heavy breathing of the sex nut who supposedly <laughs> masturbates while he listenings to a female voice of the line. Did he use the term sex nut? <laughs> sex <laughs> nut? Sex nut. <laughs> really? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you want to ask? <laughs> sex nut. It's just, it's just me. Well, a couple months after Mary Heyer got that visit from the little guy, and then a couple months after she got uh, started getting the phone calls, mm. a UFO allegedly swept through her backyard with a searchlight. And pretty soon after that, Mary Heyer got her first visit from the men in black. Cool. Now, one interesting thing about the men in black of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, is that by all accounts, it was said that instead of having the pasty white complexion that many people have described in the past, these men in black had darker skin and looked Asian. Really? Now, he's some kind of Asian. Um, This is an interesting, another interesting fact about John Keel, is that what he'd like to do is he'd carry this card. And he's like, when you met the men in black, tell me. What was the race of the creature? Was it this? And it was just pictures of different people of different races. Uh-huh. And he'd make them point to it. And the general consensus was Laplander. <laughs> What's a Laplander? <laughs> I don't know. All right, interesting. So we're getting some more diversity in our men in black. Very much and so. And as soon yes. as we have women in black, which they already do. We do. We All do. right, I like this. Yeah. Well, Mary's first run-in was with two near-identical men who wore black overcoats and black suits. Mm. She said they showed up at her offices and asked her what she would do if someone told her to stop writing about the paranormal. The specific quote Mm. was, what would you do if somebody ordered you to stop writing about UFOs? Oh, yeah. And And in a brassy response typical for Mary Heyer, she said she'd tell them to go to hell. Kiss oh. my grits. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's oh very, she says that a lot of me. Like, and them men in black, they come in here to try to tell me what me write about. And I say, you know what? You, you, you kiss it. You kiss it and miss <laughs> it. Oh, she was brassy as hell. Oh, my. Well, she doesn't want to go back to the Ohio brunch beat. Uh, <laughs> no. We're talking about avocado toast and Bloody Marys. And after she said that, the men in black left without incident. Oh. But later that day, Mary was visited by another odd stranger. Hmm. She said this man spoke with an intense stutter in a strange, indefinable accent and had freakishly long fingers. Okay. My name is Dick Brown, he announced in a hesitant manner. I am a UBPO researcher. Oh, Mary pushed aside the pile of papers on her desk and studied him. The day was ending and she was ready to go home and try to get some sleep at last. After a brief, almost incoherent struggle to discuss UFO sightings, Brown stammered, What would you you do if someone ordered you to stop writing about UFOs? (laughs) 
he does sound like Ren. Uh, that was, it got to a real Ren and Stimpy moment there, and I, yeah. I, I really liked yeah. it. Yeah, it ended with, I mean, it started with, sometimes my arms spin Been back, back. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yes. and then eventually went into, like, you idiot. Yes, yes, it did. Indesi- indiscernible accent. So she's just wrapping up her day, and this guy comes in and just starts creeping on her. Yeah, she asked the she he asked her the same questions that the twins from earlier that day had asked, but instead of giving the same answers, she thought, like, well, this is weird. Let's. I want to needle this guy for some information. Mm. So she asked, are you working with those two guys from earlier that day? And Jack said no, but he was friends with Gray Barker. Oh. Now, by this time, both Gray Barker and John Keel had descended upon Point Pleasant and had made Mary's acquaintance. So, taking the Gray Barker lead... Wink, wink. <laughs> I don't know if they made love. They did not. They no, did not. John that Keel's was... very professional, and he was always talking about how professional he was, and he kept a low profile. He didn't want yep. to shake things up. He didn't want to draw all attach, attach. He didn't want to dra- draw any attention to himself, because you know he's the flashy city boy in this yeah. small country town. No, I heard he had a trifold of all the races of the nation. <laughs> of the world, really. So, taking the Gray Barker lead, Mary asked if Jack knew John Keel. Hmm. Now, this was apparently a sore spot for Jack. Really? This is what he said. I used to think the world of Keel. Then a few minutes ago, I bought a magazine. He says he's seen UFOs himself. He's a liar. Wow, yeah. he's he's in roast mode. He's going after John Keel. But there's something about it. It's like I know I'm joking about it, obviously, but it's kind of like we like doing the bit about talking about Freddy Freaker, mm-hmm. right? Like you see this thing that's like super fucking uh, obviously fake, and it's a weird thing. But if you were to see it in real life, yeah, like if the thing popped up yeah, in front of you. You'd lose your fucking mind. Oh, you gotta kick it, and then you gotta burn it, and then you gotta do a whole like seance ritual. I mean, but yeah. the Men in Black to me, like obviously, I'm making a I'm making a bit of a yuck about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's something about the incredible high strangeness of this thing just showing up in your office because there's enough of these witnesses. This is now where I'm at in the research of this. There's enough of these witnesses that have seen this weird ass. Uh, I don't know what to say. Like, just uh, I mean, I, I keep using the term "high strangeness" that have seen this type of this type of bullshit. That it's like, well, there's something to it in my mind. Strange well, forms all around. Well, one of the things that I think makes Point Pleasant kind of unique to this sort of thing is that there was never really a panic. You know, like there wasn't, it wasn't like these like huge panics that you see a lot of times Mm. when they talk about like mass hysteria, there's usually like a huge panic. There were a couple times where like dudes loaded up uh, their guns and the trucks and all drove out to the TNT factory. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got got to, but for the most part, like the citizens are just like, what the fuck Well, is, could that be contributed to their more chillaxed attitudes being like, (laughs) yo, relax. And then maybe that's why there wasn't the panic. I would seem like is that when the original sightings for the Mothman came out and all these UFO sightings and they would go to the police is that it was such a small town that the police, for the most part, like, believed them. They yeah. were they, they were believing these kids coming in and grown adults and professional people that are coming in and saying, like, I'm seeing fucked up shit. Right, Like, what, right. what's happening? And so these cops, bored of shit, were like, 
let's go get him. Yeah, let's get him. Like, they're ready, like, because they're like, that's action, man. I would have been in the back of a pickup truck immediately drinking <laughs> Bud Light because of what you did in the world. I get so much. I never had a Bud Light lime in my life. That is but not that, true. No, that is you true. You are rewriting history. No, by the way, Jackie. No, Jackie's all my God. To change the past. Jackie Zabrowski, your sister, she said that she was drinking Bud Light lime. She drinks whatever gets to her lips. But that's who you thought of. But that sounds like a lot of fun. It does, yeah. Now, after the statement about Keel, Jack left Mary Hire's office to visit an actual witness to the Mothman, a young woman named Connie Carpenter. Connie had seen the creature as she was driving home from church the previous November. She was among the favorite. <laughs> I'm trying to go to church. <laughs> All right, I'll look at you. Got to. Well, she was among the first witnesses and had one of the most harrowing experiences. And she actually, besides, I think she talked to a couple of people about it. But then after that, she refused to talk about Mothman for like 30 years. Really? Yeah. Was it a negative experience for her? Was she, like, sort of laughed out of town? Well, she got the aforementioned conjunctivitis pretty bad. Ah. Well, that's what they're saying, is that they, the conjunctivitis comes uh, with uh, the light from its eyes. It seemed ah. to form some kind of sunburn. And I guess that's what... It's called Klieg conjunctivitis, according to John Keel. And a part of it said you can also get it from being on the beach too long. Mm. Yeah, interesting. It seems like kind of a weak super weapon for this Mothman creature. Yes. It's sort of... <laughs> on par with like Buzz from Toy Story which I have to reference all the time. Well, I'm not sure if it's like a weapon. I think it's just like a side effect because oh, like okay. her eyes are like swollen up. They turned like her eyes swelled up. They turned red. Uh, she got a real nasty itch and the whole thing lasted about like two weeks. It isn't okay. an instant thing. It's something that happens afterwards. I see. Yes, there was a story of another two a couple that were visited by UFO. They were necking completely nude in the back of their car oh my. Uh, up by the TNT factory mm-hmm. and a UFO <laughs> A light shone into their car and it went all over their fucking penis mm-hmm. and the top of her vagina. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. And and what happened is, is that the next day, <laughs> oh, yes. they couldn't go to the police because they were stepping out mm-hmm. on their s- significant others, Ooh! but oh. they were completely sunburned from head to toe, like, really? like violently, vividly sunburned. Well, nothing more romantic than necking in the car in a parking lot of a TNT factory. Honestly, have you tried <laughs> that, it, though? No. No? <laughs> Well, when Jack showed up at Connie Carpenter's house, all he wanted to know was what kind of relationship existed between Mary Heyer and John Keel. He didn't want to know anything about the Mothman. Then Jack went over to the home of Mabel McDaniel, who had seen the Mothman soaring over Tiny's drive-in restaurant in January of 1967. Oh, I want to go to Tiny so bad. (laughs) But it's interesting is that the men in black in the last episode and the example that was that is from Point Pleasant was also named Tiny. Was also named Tiny. Really? Yeah. What kind of? No, it's a burger place. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, Jack talked his way inside by saying he was a friend of Hire, Barker, and Keel. Hmm. But this time, Jack had brought along an oversized tape recorder. And it's weird. Jack Brown walked into, it was a party okay. that they were having with friends and family. Like, it was like a barbecue. It was nice. Jack Brown shows up with his fucking bowl cut, and he's like, do you need any sides? Do you want macaroni salad? Oh, I do. Like, and they're like, oh, very good. He's like, and then it's just like a handful of just bark and stuff. And like, mm, prepared it from Publix. And so he goes in. He brings up his fucking tape recorder, right. and he's just like fucking with it. Just like asking random questions that people be like, do you know? John Keel, 
John Keel is a liar. Like at this, which is like a so, very sweet Southern little party, right? That, and he, it's just this fucking demon is in the <laughs> yeah. middle of it. I mean, I got to give him credit. Nowadays, it's much easier to do something like that. He's got to carry around this thing and probably like a radio flyer or mm-hmm. something. I mean, it seems like kind of a fun party favor. Oh, it's a great party favor. But the problem was is that he's sticking the recorder, the stick in the microphone in people's uh, faces, but he didn't know how to turn the recorder on. Oh, yeah, no. dude. He's not doing anything. He's, wow. not, he's yeah. not actually to ask he He's not recording anything because they said that he sat it down and he just like fucked with it for a while and he couldn't figure out how to use it so we just went around and started asking people qu- people questions <laughs> without ever turning it on but this guy's just sitting in the middle of your living room yeah. all dressed up like he's from the Adams family right? with a big tape recorder and it's really fucking weird yeah. man these wow. huge long skinny fingers yeah. just remember again it's like an entity is playing make believe as an FBI agent. Right, right. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and still, he did not ask any questions about the Mothman or any questions about the UFOs because by this time, like, the UFO sightings are just coming left and right in Point Pleasant. Mm. The only thing he wanted to know was what Mary Heyer would do should someone ask her to stop reporting on the paranormal. So she's gotten this question multiple times now. Yes, from many tiny weird men. And And each time it's just kiss my ass. And now the weird tiny men are asking strangers what they think Mary Heyer would do. And they're like, I'll I'll give you the Mary Heyer answer. No. mm, 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 mm." (laughs) Leave her alone. (laughs) And he kept repeating one sentence over and over again. And he'd repeat the sentence to every witness he visited. He said... They are not hostile. Who they are not hostile. The UFOs. They are not hostile. Well, we don't know what he's just saying. We don't know what he's referring to. He's just saying they are not hostile, which is very similar to the Woodrow Derenberger story when he was met by a creature named Injured Cold that when he and he showed up Hmm. uh, uh, when Injured Cold basically mentally told him to roll down his window so he could speak at him. And he was like, do not worry. We are from a country far weaker than yours. <laughs> and then I, I'm, I'm going to put a little humor in here with a really funny joke there. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he rolled down her, she rolled down her window, and then he said, you got any Grey Poupon? <laughs> Remember those commercials? This isn't Grey- a joke, Kissel. Well, uh, Honestly, uh, it gets great. to a point, man, where well, it's just like, it's not a joke. And well, you know what? Grey if you Poupon. didn't have the Grey Poupon, uh, you know what they're going to do? They're going to make some Grey Poupon. Oh, that was always a funny name for a condiment. Too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah Tichibum. Remember that? Oh. I remember that. Well, after Jack Brown showed up, Point Pleasant seemed to be overrun with UFO sightings coupled with encounters with strange men. Hmm. One witness saw a UFO as he was driving home. Then, when he was driving down the same stretch of road a week later, he saw a man standing in the exact spot where the sighting had occurred. And the witness said the mystery man was very tan and was wearing an unidentified uniform. And in the mystery man's hand was a box Mm. with a large dial affixed, and a wire was running from the box to the other man's hand. What could it be? I don't know. A box know. full of TNT? Maybe the, the TNT factory is nearby. No, dude, it's stuff. It's like, if it's real, if it's not just a bunch of people afraid of road workers, yeah. it's afraid of somebody that is like, you're basically looking at somebody that's looked at research equipment 
from from a, either a mental picture uh-huh. or looked at somebody using like something like a radiometer or something, and he says like that's what official men use. Anyway, it's a prop comedian or <laughs> anything like that. Well, Jim Keith has a very interesting theory about all this type of stuff and why it was so strange and why none of it seemed to make sense and why there were so many of these guys around yeah. is that Jim Keith, one of his theories uh, was that this was actually a test run for a secret government psyops program. Oh, yes. I mean, we'll get to that, though, because there's more of that I would even cover. I do believe mm-hmm. that it is the CIA propagating their own paranoia that they're creating by throwing in like ringers in there to make people paranoid all the time. Yeah, just okay. weird stuff that people like this. I mean, I think this like big box with a big dial that like with the wire running out of it. I think this is a great example of just, they're just trying to confuse people. So, and if you see something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, then right. it's going to make you paranoid. You're going to think about nothing else. So they're kind of Truman showing uh, this entire town I mean, with like macabre weird stuff. Somewhat. Is this guy working? Like, is he like nine to five? I stand like, what do you do all day? Like, <laughs> I stand holding this box on the side of the highway until 4.30 p.m. You're a field man for the CIA. I don't think you ask a lot of questions. I think yeah. you get the uniform, you put it on, you stand there until they tell you to stop. And then sure. the van comes and picks you up and takes you back to Richmond, Virginia. Eh. Great place. Drippy stuff. Well, after that, Men in Black just started showing up around town. Hmm. In August, a witness said he saw two Asian-looking men dressed all in black grinning at him. And he said they had trouble walking away, like they were confused or drunk. Hmm. It's very strange, because they keep saying Asian-looking type man. But they also say deeply, deeply tan, which is interesting, and it's the strange-shaped heads and bad haircuts. Mm-hmm. But it also just sounds like Taurus. <laughs> Could be. And so it's Could like, but I don't know how they got to Point Pleasant, except for all the UFO talk. So that's the other thing, too, is that there's a lot of UFO talk about Point mm-hmm. Pleasant. So I imagine if people are showing up to kind of see what the hubbub's all about. Yeah. But the Men in Black stuff just increases... As it goes. Right. Well, I would assume the good people of Point Pleasant understand what human form looks like and uh, what these yeah. mysterious yeah. Well, no, uh, creatures look these like. These motherfuckers are sticking out. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a part of it. And it's also kind of what we talked about in the first episode, where it seems like the Men in Black show up to specifically make it about them. Yeah. Hmm. Now, another woman who was a witness to both the Mothman and the Men in Black was Mrs. Marcella Bennett. She said she was forced off the road by a man driving a red Ford Galaxy, and bizarrely, the man was wearing a bushy fright wig. There's something about this. <laughs> Honestly, you're laughing. It creeps me no, out. Think about it's it. Horrifying. It's horrifying. It's the Freddy Freaker thing all over again. A dude in a huge red wig wow. is trying to force you off the road in the middle of the night. Why is he doing it? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, honestly, why is he doing it? What purpose? What purpose does it serve besides increasing the paranoia? Yeah. Yeah. Strange stuff. In all that time, black limousines filled with tan Asian-looking men were knocking on doors, calling themselves census takers, and asking way too many questions about the children of the household. All the Creepy. children shit. Obsessed with the amount of like, like their weights and their heights. And it's very, very strange where it's being like, at some point, you're like, uh, Mr. Census Man, um, 
You trying to make like a life-size body mold of my child to have sex with? No, we aren't just interested in the taste of their feet. Oh my goodness, you can't do that. Now, strangely enough, the crescendo of the Mothman story begins not in Point Pleasant, but 600 miles away in Mount Misery, Long Island. Oh, what man, are we going to oh, name man. our crappy town? Let's. Okay, I got an idea, uh, okay? We call it Shit Fuck Long Island. Oh, that's a little bit long for the license plate. Oh, Okay, how about just shit? (laughs) You know what? Let's go with misery. All right. However, it does still involve Mr. John Keel. This guy is everywhere. He's everywhere. He puts himself, it's a little bit of a gonzo story, Mothman Prophecies. He Mm. definitely puts himself in the center of it, but in a way that's so charming. Yeah. Okay. Now, in early 1967, a woman whom Keel refers to only as Jane was abducted along with her boyfriend from their car. Mm. And neither one of them remembered anything from their encounter. But a few months later, Jane started getting phone calls. And on May 17th, Jane answered the phone, and a metallic voice on the other end said, Listen carefully, I cannot hear you. The voice then instructed Jane to go to her public library and read a specific page in a specific book on Native American history. Jane did so the next day, and when she arrived at the library, she found the building was empty, save for her and the librarian. Well, Jane said the librarian was dressed like a woman from the 40s, like a woman out of time. But to put that into perspective, that would be like saying you saw a woman dressed like it was 1998. That's all we see. That's all we see. It's called called Williamsburg. But uh, what I would say is that you know what's really strange. You see someone out of time and then doing that like thing from Ghostbusters where it's like, shh. (laughs) Dude, Ghostbusters has some legit scary moments. Yes. Now, the librarian had dark skin, black eyes, black hair, and only spoke in broken English. Hmm. And the librarian just so happened to have the book that Jane was searching for sitting on her desk. Jane's instructions were to look at page 42. And when Jane did so, the print shrunk more and more until she couldn't read it anymore. Then the words grew until Jane could once again make out what they were saying. And this is what the page said. Good morning, friend. You have been selected for many reasons. One is that you are advanced in auto-suggestion. Through this science, we will make contact. I have messages concerning Earth and its people. The time is set. Fear not. I am a friend. For reasons best known to ourselves, you must make your contacts known to one reliable person. To break this code is to break contact. Proof shall be given. Notes must be kept of the suggestion state. Be in peace. Signed, a pal. Jeez. I, all right. So she's got to tell one person about this. Well, yeah. she's obviously also, and then if it's not real, she's suffering a, a massive psychotic breakdown. Well, Jane left a little bewildered, but pretty soon she found she was being followed everywhere by the librarian. What? And eventually the librarian attempted a conversation, but Jane thought eh, something a little bit off about this woman. She said that the librarian seemed as if she was a body without a soul, and she laughed as if she was emotionally disturbed. (laughs) 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 If you naturally laugh like Santa Claus, you should be put into a mental asylum. (laughs) It's like everyone who paid big bucks for Gallagher tickets, and they don't want to admit to themselves he's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, $500 ticket. (laughs) I will laugh at anything that he does. Man, but that makes all the sense in the world. Librarians are the perfect spies. Shh, quiet. (laughs) Sneaky. 
Watching what you read. Watching what you read. I've never heard one speak. No. They don't do it. They do speak. So <laughs> if you have a question to them. Or when was the last time you attempted a conversation with a librarian? The, the last time, time I had to go walked? to a periodical, and which, by the way, I had a periodical class in high school. Thank you for that. So needed. When is the last time you walked into a library? When was the last time you walked into a library? I don't have to. I, I mean, I just collect books. I would say like 10 years ago. I Maybe. used to go to the Manhattan Public Library a lot. The Dewey Decimal System was the dumbest thing that's ever happened in the history of Books. Library sciences. <laughs> but it makes all the sense in the world. Creepy people. Well, when the librarian actually did speak to Jane, she just asked weird questions. One of these questions was, Is there any AU here? AU is the symbol for gold on the periodic table. Hmm. But Jane couldn't figure out what this librarian would have for gold, especially if she's asking about it in scientific terms. And on another occasion, the librarian popped out from an alleyway, scaring the hell out of Jane, and said, quote, Peter is coming. Why are you interested in our mount? Peter is coming very soon. Jeez. And as the librarian said this, a black Cadillac pulled up behind Jane, and it was driven by, again, an Asian-looking man with olive skin, sunglasses, and a gray suit. And out of the back came another guy, again, grinning. And the driver introduced himself. He extended his hand to Jane and told her his name was Apple, but spelled A-P-O-L. And just as is typical with the men in black, Apple's hands were as cold as ice. Hmm. Apple then handed Jane a disc wrapped in an old parchment and told her, Wear this always, (laughs) though they will know who you are. That's crazy. Now, at this point, Jane had no idea why she'd been chosen for any of this. And remember, all this was happening in New Jersey. And so, Mm. Jane reached out to John Keel and mailed him the disc. Oh, big fucking mistake. You don't go just nailing the weight, mailing a disc. (laughs) I guess not. Yeah, it didn't work for BTK, that's for sure. Apple, Gwyneth Paltrow's son. That's right. Gwyneth Paltrow's son. Oh, this is the precursor to Goop. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. And so John received the package, inspected it, and then mailed it back. But when the package Mm. returned to Jane, she found that the disc was bent, had turned black, and smelled like rotten eggs. Uh, John Keel put it up his ass. Yeah, did he just like, how does this work? And he just sat on it for 30 minutes? (laughs) Mail tampering. Uh. Well, yeah, the men in black are actually known for mail tampering. Well, that is a part of, well, we'll get into even deeper a little bit later on the episode. There's a sort of trickster version of this where they found people dressed as men in black going through people's mails, ripping up envelopes and just like throwing them in the street and kicking packages and shit Mm, like a bunch of little fucking goblins if i saw that i'd say that's a federal crime sir (laughs) that's a federal crime right there sir so after that keel figured he needed to glean a little more information about all this business with apple so he went with the old tried and true ufo abductee method of hypnotism and the session started with keel talking to jane but pretty soon apple took over and reportedly, all Apple wanted to talk about at first was gossip 
about Robert Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe. You Ooh. think they're fucking? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's weird because it was a full five years after Marilyn Monroe had died. Well, they... I think they're fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right about that. And then the conversation turned serious. And specifically, it turned towards Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Apple gave a dire warning to Keel that a disaster was set to happen on the Ohio River, and many people would die hmm. as a result. So Apple was speaking through Jane. Yes. yes. Okay. Now, John Keel, at that point, he'd been going in and out of Point Pleasant for about a year, and he knew that Point Pleasant sat at the confluence of the Kanawha and Ohio Rivers. Hmm. And that's why Keel wrote this in a letter to Mary Heyer on November 3rd, 1967. I have reason to suspect there may soon be a disaster in the Point Pleasant area that will not be related to the UFO mystery. A plant along a river may either blow up or burn down. Possibly the Navy installation of Point Pleasant will be the center of such a disaster. A lot of people may be hurt. Don't even hint to anybody anything about this. If I had to guess, I would say the TNT plant, <laughs> most, most likely to blow up. TNT plant had been uh, disused for about 20 years by that point. Oh, yeah, okay. man. It was just domes. Mm -hmm. And where you go get horny. I guess so. <laughs> How many kids came out of Point Pleasant named TNT? I don't like know. five or six. <laughs> and they be. were immediately murdered in the army. <laughs> oh. Well, thank them for their service. Well, the date John Keel gave for the disaster was December 15th, 1967. And on that day, in Point Pleasant, the Silver Bridge, which went over the Ohio River, collapsed, and 46 people were killed. That's, so John Keel just sat there and was like, called it. Don't. <laughs> I mean, essentially. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Now, it's said that the bridge collapsed because of a fatal flaw in the construction. But two days before the disaster, a couple of guys were seen climbing on the side of the bridge. Hmm. I do want to say that I believe that the real version of the Mothman Prophecies movie should be made with John Keel, like, fucking busting crimes and screwing yeah. dimes <laughs> in the middle of fucking, like, of this little small uh, town. He's a, a UFO report. It's because this stuff is just some of the most compelling, the funnest stuff in, in High Strangers and UFO lore. We didn't even get to touch uh, uh, Woodrow uh Deben Derenberger. We didn't even get to touch Woodrow. Yeah. Woody, Woody Derenberger. Yes, yeah. we didn't get to touch him, which is a fantastic story. We'll learn yeah. about the, the people of Lanolis. One day we'll do a whole episode of it and end Indrid Gold. Who plays John Keel, you think, in a film? Who do you think? Me, this, man. I, we can't, you think, does he look a lot like you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's just, wait till I shave my head, buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Him and Jay Allen Hynek, you know what I love? Sporting the Van Dyke. Oh, yeah. Oh. Now, for this entire series, we've seen the men in black as villains, or at the very least, annoying weirdos. These guys are literally and figuratively the black hats of the UFO universe, intimidating people, sometimes killing them, but always weirding everyone out. Sounds like every libertarian at a dinner party, <laughs> which is always... Oh, no. But... Paranormal researcher and author Joshua P. Warren has a theory that the men in black are actually the good guys. It is his contention mm. that the men in black are, in fact, time cops. Man, we need oh, yeah, 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 time, 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 time cops. Cop, this is easily it, my favorite. Yeah, buddy. No but I would kidding. say is we need like a some kind of keyboard like time cops, and then it's a bunch of like. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme dressed up like the Babadook got traveling through time get Sylvester in there oh yeah. no Sylvester plays John Keel in that version <laughs> oh, of the nice. time cop story <laughs> Now, Warren's theory is that the men in black are actually crime-fighting chrononauts whose specialty is time crime. Time crime. Meaning That's the cool. reason why they show up around UFO sightings is because the people in the UFOs are also chrononauts who are here to futz around with time for their own personal gain. That's will, a time crime right there. <laughs> that is time crime. And I will warn you, Kissel, uh-huh. that you will get a $175 ticket in time bucks oh. if you do not refer to aliens as chrononauts. Oh, right. I, I can't even pay that. I don't know what that is in human dollars. It's five years of your time. Oh! Wow. Well, Warren thinks that it's possible that all the weird dudes showing up around Point Pleasant were actually chrononauts who spent a full year battling one threat or another. Mm. Threats such as the Mothman, Whoa. who may be an evolved being from millions of years in the future. Who's fucking not supposed to be in our timeline. That's a time crime. Yeah. He comes oh. back here to like show show his face, but we're not supposed to see him yet because Mothman is technically a very good professional basketball player from the year 3000. <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> oh, more like the year three million. Whoa, yeah, I don't want the wings. So You'll have to raise the hoop a little bit. Seems <laughs> like it's cheap. Time crimes. Time cops. Star Club and damn kicking Mothman the nuts. Oh, watch out. Mothman's got nards. That's where it comes from. Monster Squad. Well, in fact, Warren believes that the reason why men in black show up around certain cryptid activities is because those cryptids are actually hyper-evolved creatures from Earth's future. For example, when the Chupacabra first showed up in Puerto Rico, he almost immediately slaughtered a local farmer's prized pig. Enrique (laughs) That's amazing. I love it. And you know, if uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Jean-Claude Van Damme, if he did get the pink eye, Mm -hmm. he'd be like, oh my God, you must have met the Mothman. He'd be like, no, that was the fickle finger of death. No, <laughs> yes, that was actually but a bad You know bad what he'd do is he'd have that conjunctivitis, and then he'd wrap a bandana around his own eyes and start fighting he blind. He have to see. <laughs> and pretty soon after that pig got slaughtered, the men in black showed up. Now, could it be hmm. that slaughtering that prized pig had some sort of ripple effect on time? That something in that pig's future could have set off a chain of events that could affect someone millions of years in the future? Was the pig a time fulcrum? It was a time pig. <laughs> it was a time pig. And then it cuts to the year three million, Donald Trump's heads in a big floating glass jar like in Futurama with his big floating robot dick, and that pig was supposed to be his wife. Oh, <laughs> man. I would- Time pig. Time pig. Oh, I, I love time cops, Yeah. by the way. I, lo- I love oh, yeah. the whole the whole theory. Cuts to also them back. You know who's a part of the whole crew? Rasputin. Oh! He gets pulled in time print, and that's where I make this look good. Comes from <laughs> wow. put into the lore of Men in Black, where he's hanging out with them. And be like, this guy's hilarious. He's really great. He's a huge cock. And then Jean-Claude Van Damme's like, I do not need a cock to fight. And he takes his yeah. own cock and he puts it up his own ass. Wow. And he's like, fight blind, no dick. Oh, he could do it. Jean-Claude can do a lot. Oh, yeah. And we can go even further than this pig t- time pig time ripple. Hmm. Think of it in the context of the Mandela effect. The Mandela Effect, for those of you who don't know, is a theory that claims our reality is constantly shifting in both major and minor ways. And yet, some people, some of us, our memories don't shift with it. It is so named because millions of people, including myself... 
distinctly remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison back in the 90s, com- complete with really? a huge funeral. I absolutely remember this. Hmm. It was a celebration because apartheid was over. Nope. No. Huge funeral. Okay. But Nelson Mandela actually died a free man in 2013. Yes. You just, so you mean to tell me it's the men in black. They showed up at Nelson Mandela's thing while he was sick, and they're like... You need Robitussin. <laughs> and he's just oh. like, well, Robitussin does sound good, my fellow countrymen. You're <laughs> from Asia. Wow. Now, the example most people know about the Mandela effect is the whole Berenstein, Berenstain bears right. thing. Some people remember it as Berenstein, as I do. and then, But it's always been Berenstain, uh, which, is, which is ridiculous. And a, a lot of folks say the Sin- Sinbad was in a genie movie, which he was not in. And no. I will say the Berenstain, because you know what it reminds me of, it just makes me think of those Charmin bears. Yeah, oh. with their shit-covered toilet paper. <laughs> yes, they always had a lesson in those books. Now, Warren's example is a photograph of the mythological creature known as the Thunderbird that was supposedly published in a men's adventure magazine back in the 60s. And although numerous researchers clearly remember seeing the photograph, no trace of it has ever been found. Warren's theory is that there are people constantly traveling back in time for their own advantage. Sure. I would. Yeah, yeah. Is it like a vacation? No, it's time crime. No, dude. It's, it's time t- crime. Time crime. <laughs> Technically, it's time crime to do it frivolously. Okay. I mean, that's what I would say. Yeah. If I was a future time crime administrator, mm-hmm. I would say frivolous time travel is probably like dumb yeah. unless you go to sanctioned areas where right. you can go where there's no where there's no interaction with the other people where you have to go and like mark them off. This is very deep into time legislation, <laughs> right. which I will right. uh, present more and more as the episodes go yeah, on. Yes, so I'd like to hear your amendments on that. (laughs) Well, sometimes the time criminals are stopped by the men in black. And sometimes they aren't. And when they aren't, the nature of our reality changes. And for some reason, some of us remember the reality the way it was before the alteration. Hmm. And the reason why the men in black dress the way they do, and this is according to Warren, is because they could reasonably pass themselves off as regular people at almost any point in the 20th century. Because there's something more classic than the simple black suit. Mm -hmm. Simple black suit, black tie, white shirt, that's kind of what you go for if you're like going to a a presentation or kind of stuff. Like It's very simple, very classy. And he also would drive 1960s cars that look like they're completely new. Yeah. Oh, man, I could already just... I feel like I do want to start grabbing a bunch of people by their coats and just screaming like, time crime! Like, where are you from? Why are you here? Time crime! Are you committed to time crime? That's interesting. Yeah. You commit a time crime against yourself every time you black out. Really? Because you're illegally time traveling to your own rules. (laughs) That's in your legislation? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and you know... Someone in a black suit and a fedora and a tie, they might look a little more out of place in like 1995 than say 1955, but they still aren't completely out of the ordinary. Because think of it this way, if these time cops are policing the whole of time, then logic follows that their wardrobe department has to limit themselves to centuries rather than decades. Yeah, and they they had to get out of the coveralls. Yeah. Time period. Because yeah. in the, we see that with aliens, too, where they'll have cover, coveralls or suits. And now the greys stick to simply nude. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I think is really important. But, on the other hand, all of this could just be blamed on 
Nerds. Yeah, man. Uh, nerds. <laughs> yeah. No. Nerds. Uh, nerds. <laughs> nerds. Well, naturally, I think that that is to... Yes. <laughs> that That's understood. <laughs> what do you mean? Just because they're dressing with, like, pocket protectors and they don't no, look a little no, out of place? No, is that no, what's no, happening no, no, here? Weaponized, organized nerds. <laughs> Weaponized nerds? Yes. So way back in 1956, Thomas Townsend Brown founded the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, a.k.a. NICAP. NICAP was one of the more serious organizations, with people like former CIA director Roscoe Hillencoder on their board of directors. <laughs> yes. 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 Roscoe Hillencoder does sound like a very serious man. I oh, know. doesn't he? he? Oh, yes, yeah. He, uh, he has sock garters. <laughs> like, I can guarantee that. Like, where my grandfather, I saw my grandfather in his underpants one time, and it was like a full suit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was true. NICAP actually got some real heavies in the very beginning. Yeah. People that went and joined and that were a part of the established spook nation of this country, the people from the OSS that turned into the CIA, they were there, they were a part of creating NICAP, uh, and so they took themselves very seriously. I believe that. This is is after they retire from the CIA, this is like their retirement, I guess. I uh, actually think Roscoe Hillencoder was the first director of the CIA. Oh! Yeah, I mean, they had some heavy, there were some Navy guys in there, like military guys. Because they, we took this fucking seriously. Yeah, back This was the until, like, until they finally disbanded Project Blue Book, like, we were, they were actively trying to find out whether or not this is a threat, and then also, kind of surreptitiously, the CIA kind of makes their own UFO group that can also help them investigate other UFO groups for mm-hmm. commie behavior. Oh, I'm sure oh, yeah. we're finding out some, a lot of stuff right now that we'll know about in about 50 years. Oh, yeah, and they tied up, I mean, the, the government and the CIA, they tied up the whole UFO thing in knots, not to necessarily discredit these guys, but to satiate these guys. Where they did like Project Blue Book, and they to shut know, said, them the fuck up. They shut they to shut them up, and then a lot of these guys, like they looked at, it, it was like, oh, okay, like this is that that's totally above board. All right, we can quit doing this now. But other guys like Alan Hynek looked at him like, no, the guys that actually worked on it were like, no, this is fucked up. They got flipped. Yeah, it got totally flipped. Like so, it cool. it, it worked both ways. Now, as Nick Redfern points out. The field of UFO research is by far the most jealous of all branches of paranormal studies. <laughs> he are just hungry for results. I don't Marcus. know why they hate each other so much. They should just get together. They Maybe want, they can figure something out. They want the scoop. Yeah. Yeah, but <sighs> now when an organization discovers a story, they tend to want it completely to themselves. Because if it is the big if it's the, right. the egg cracker, like if it's the one that blows the whole thing wide open, they want to be the ones to do it. I mean, it's yes. just all response or all credibility or all um, uh, what do you call that? All gratitude is just going to go to like a super wealthy person who's just to finance them. Well, yeah. that, a part of it is that they that never happened in the UFO community. It was always a struggle. They were always fighting over gas money, and <laughs> they are also sort of taking the model from the people that, I mean, like the CIA and the FBI, and the, they are all also hungry for their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, this is ours. This is our story. I yeah. think they should work together. Yeah, because some people in the paranormal community believe that NICAP may have been taking cues from their CIA-influenced board of directors. Because you've got a guy, right. you know, the first director of the CIA, guy that was in charge of G-Men, all into so- all sorts of like, bl- not necessarily black ops stuff, but intimidation mm. stuff. And you've got a guy up top telling him, this is how you go and talk to people. Mm. And they think that the men in black 
the people that, you know, criticize NICAP, they think that the men in black were actually just pasty, socially awkward nerds yeah. sent by NICAP to intimidate UFO witnesses. Not to keep it secret from the public, but to keep the information from rival UFO organizations. Yes. All right, could be. <laughs> they could literally be. are doing it to keep the other people, like, telling, don't tell anybody, don't let anybody tell you, don't tell anybody else this story. Mm-hmm. Essentially right. so that they can control the flow of information. And then because they're super nerds, they are... In uniforms, right? Like honestly, men in black for the most part just drive like black car drivers. They yeah. dress like black car drivers, where yeah. it's like the simple black suit, which is why they're all ill-fitting because mm-hmm. they went to men's warehouse and didn't go to a tailor. <laughs> right, right. You got to. So they're they're pasty like Seamus from the WWE, very white, frighteningly so. Yes. And uh, this makes all the sense in the world to me. They're yeah. naturally awkward. Yeah. Oh, of oh course. Yeah. They're, they're awkward, cripplingly awkward. Don't nerds, they know about tech. Wouldn't they have been able to figure out how to turn that uh, recording machine on? Not when you're surrounded by people. That's a <laughs> oh, you. Not only nervous nerd. Yes, you're a nervous nerd. You're dressed completely out of character. You oh. put a suit on that's making you sweat all the time, but your hands are still cold because you got blood issues. Got to, yeah, <laughs> And you're always. sitting there fidgeting with a tape recorder while a bunch of, like, women are staring at Perhaps. you. Perhaps. They're not doing anything. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's the opinion of many paranormal researchers that NICAP is probably responsible for a large portion of men in black encounters over the years, and a lot of it has to do with just the name. See, if you're just like a country bumpkin in 1960, and someone from the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena shows up at your door mm. looking like a G-man and flashing an official-looking ID, telling you to <laughs> shut the fuck up about your UFO sighting, it's going to freak you out. Oh, absolutely. I totally get that. I'll tell you what, ma'am. We've heard tell about you speaking about UFOs to the papers, and that must stop this Instant. Also, I am running low on Mountain Dew Code Red. <laughs> Do you have any? And I must, I must abscond it for the government. That's a time crime, my friend. That person's obvious for from 1999. Oh, no. Anachronism! Anachronism! Oh, no, wow, time no. crime. Code Red did not come on board until 1999 I'm, or whatever it was. I'm too soft for time jail. Oh. Just in there with fucking Marquis de Sade and Hitler's double. <laughs> yeah, man. And if that country bumpkin tells that story to a whole other set of nerds that show up later, they're probably going to assume that it's all a part of a conspiracy. Mm. And the story is only going to spread from there, especially when you combine it with the hallucinatory experiences of Albert Bender and the over-the-top writing of Gray Barker and John Keel. Wow. I could see you getting whipped up. Yeah. Gets it's a, real that, whipped up. That's a part sure. of what we're talking about here, too. It's like, I mean, obviously, we can consider the fact that everything is fake. Yeah. Like, we can talk obviously about how... Obviously, we consider that. That's just kind of what, like, what we're going to immediately go into, the idea of misdirection. Yeah. And speaking of which, lots of men in black sightings are just simple cases of misidentification combined with confirmation bias. Mm. One woman who was married to a paranormal researcher almost lost her mind with paranoia because she thought a man in black was standing outside her building, because she had been doing UFO research. Yeah. Right. This is the story of me and Natalie, by the way, what will eventually happen to <laughs> us. But happen. our paranoia is bringing us together. Probably shouldn't have guns in the house. But it turns out the guy, the man in uh-huh. this black suit, right. he was just a lookout for a local criminal organization operating on the block. So he was a criminal. Hey, <laughs> he was a criminal. If you stumble upon a real crime while looking for fake crime, you still stumbled upon a crime. Well, Redfern 
also tells a more recent story about a researcher named Micah Hanks, mm-hmm. author of Magic, Mystery, and Molecule. Ooh, what's that all about? Magic, Mystery, and Molecule. Okay. <laughs> well, Hanks was investigating a haunting known as the Pink Lady of Asheville, South Carolina. Oh, <laughs> that's nice, honestly. I just imagine somebody that looks like they've been spanked all over. Oh, no. <laughs> now, since the Pink Lady was haunting a high-class establishment called the Grove Park Inn, Hanks decided to dress the part of a patron and did all of his work in a nice black suit. Oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> yes. And of course, since he was a paranormal researcher, he showed up with his MF, EMF meter <laughs> and oh, his yeah. spirit box and his EVP recorder uh-huh. and all kinds of goofy shit. And he was just asking weird out of context questions to anyone who'd talk to him. He's a paranormal investigator. <laughs> and we should be able to, like me with my lanyard, uh-huh. you should be able to invest the announcer yourself as a paranormal investigator right. and all these prying into the what's and the how's and the why's should immediately end so, and you give me truthful answers and if not you should be punishable by being struck with a reed uh, so basically if you have enough instruments of pseudoscience you have to be treated with respect how is it pseudoscience if I have it in my hands <laughs> So pretty soon after Hanks's research was done, rumors of an authentic man in black started to circulate around Asheville. And when Hanks heard this, he was just flabbergasted that a man in black should show up at the site where he'd done his research. I nope. gotta go find that man in black and I gotta destroy him with my tactical flashlight. Oh, <laughs> it could do that. And it took Hanks quite a while to put the dots together on this one that... He was the man in black all along. Uh, At that point, don't you just have to look in the mirror and be like, I have lips. Are my lips really like, what? Yeah, this what thin? You, yeah. I have joints. But on the other hand, that's not to say that there haven't been very real, very scary encounters with men in black, whether they're mm. of a paranormal nature or not. John Keel covers a lot of this in uh, a couple of his speaking. I listened to a couple of his speaking tours and also uh, uh, Redfern also covers this a little bit where there's a phenomenon in the, in the center of Men in Black, which is kind of involved like either they are either trickster gods or guys doing things akin to the movie Funny Games. Yeah. Mm. And it's stuff like a guy will, like especially in the Vietnam era, a person will show up saying that they're from the Air Force to a family, to a house, essentially, where their son is serving in Vietnam. Okay. And he will say, unfortunately, your son is dead. Uh, we don't know what happened to him. He died in a POW camp. But the dude, he'd show up in a, really? like, with wrong medals on, on his uniform, uh, wearing sneakers with a, with a regular suit on. And they, they would have the son. He'd have all of the information about their son correct. Right. But then he'd tell them they were dead, and then the kid would show back up, and they would be like crying and shit, being like, where did, how did, where did you come from? And wow. it's, it's these weird mental games. And it's that happens again and again. It is this, this very high strangeness stuff. People pulling in front of your house, taking pictures of the front of your house, kind of like in a gang stalking scenario. Mm-hmm. A lot of gang stalking stuff. Like, and there's one story in particular that really, uh, there's some about it really frightened me. And it was a woman named Pat Hyde. She saw a UFO and it beamed her with light. Like a lot of these instances they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And she got hit with this light and she said she felt peace and she felt at home. She ended up working for the FBI as a typist. Really? But then this dude kept casing her like she'd be outside and this black Cadillac would pull in front of the car slow down dude would look out take a picture of the front of her house and roll out and eventually she was standing outside and a guy in a black suit 
did the same thing, came up to her. He started just out of nowhere talking to her about UFOs. And he said it was a small town, so maybe some of the word had gotten out about her UFO sighting. This guy kept going on being like, people better watch what they fucking say, though, about UFOs because, you know, they shouldn't be talking about that stuff. They shouldn't be talking about it. Next thing you know, she's getting pulled over by a man with FBI, with credentials, looking like whatever kind of badge it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Held against her will, she gets put in the back of a van with handcuffs on with these two guys dressed in black suits, asking all these questions about UFOs. They put her into a, they take her someplace where they keep her up, like she's like literally in a, like a freezer, sitting on a, a cot, not knowing where she is. They're like, you're in a mental asylum because you're fucking insane. You've been seeing UFOs you've been talking about and you can't keep, they kept her for like six or seven days. Wow. The parents called, like, call the police looking for her. She gets dropped off back in front of her house and they're like, this is just a warning and you never talk about UFOs ever again and what it comes down to it's that like I don't think that that's CIA people I don't think it's FBI people these are people that are kind of like uh, doing it for them maybe not on purpose maybe it is the CIA uh, doing things on purpose just to cause paranoia and confusion or maybe it is just fucking actual crazy people yeah. showing yeah. up and and abducting you in the name of the men in black and then are we not just propagating the same spiritual monster again and again? She's yeah. got to do what Jeffrey Lebowski did in The Big Lebowski when he realized he was being trailed by that private detective, go up to the window, grab him by the neck and ask him why the heck he's there. But that's the problem. It's two grown-ass men. You mm. can't do... like yeah, you it's can't... not a, a little chubby guy in a Volkswagen bus. They're strong, Listening huh? to jazz. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so right. that's a part of the men in black wow. lore that I find very interesting. Like this idea of trickster god or supernatural being, fairies, like, you know, they, they do exhibit the same behaviors. A lot of fairies taking souvenirs, like coming from your house, like exchanging, doing other weird... Injured cold is such a weird story when it comes to the taking stuff and bringing it back. Yeah, like right. a, guy, a guy getting his shoes stolen from a man, by a man in black who stole, well, stole his shoes. Maybe he and broke then, one of their bongs <laughs> and, that, and he's getting the Marcus Parks Texas treatment. <laughs> taking his shoes. But there's a very... The, the center of this, to me, is bone chilling. Yeah. And maybe a part of it, that is why uh, it really does affect a lot of paranoia in my own mind and I know I've actually gotten a lot of feedback from listeners saying the same exact thing but uh, whatever men in black are we are making them Um, and I imagine I mean there's not been as many occurrences as there Mm -hmm. were in the past Uh, but the things that it's still you still hear about this shit all the time mysterious men showing up around UFO sightings constantly discouraging people from being uh, open minded oh yeah man watch your back for the men in black is that it? Yeah, it is. That's, <laughs> That's crazy. It. Awesome. Man, Men in Black, a three-parter fascinating stuff. I want to get one of those little devices from the films and erase my memory because I want to talk to one. Yeah, you <laughs> I can't it. have all that. It's called beers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Time crimes. Time you do crimes. time crimes against yourself. Time crimes. I just couldn't love, a, I couldn't love a topic more. It was great. This is so much fun to talk about and so much fun to talk about like esoteric shit again. Yeah. and to, Absolutely. Guys, so we'll be back. Uh, first of all, Thank you to the Patreon. Yes, thank you all for giving to our Patreon. We appreciate you. Uh, we have a great interview, as a matter of fact. Henry and I got a chance to talk to Ben Westhoff. Uh, he was the author of Original Gangsters, and uh, it was great. He filled in a couple of blanks. Marcus, he really appreciated everything you did. We, we gave him an opportunity for corrections, uh-huh. and very little, as a matter of fact. He was really? very impressed. Uh, awesome. Very he said cool. the same thing about Frank Lucas, though. Oh, nice. And we're like, we know that. Yes, we, we know did. that. We, we, yes, we, we got it. We, we got it. 
on it. Yes, and he's working on a book on fentanyl. I'm going to interview him, Marcus, and I will for Top Hat. So we're milking this guy for all the information. <laughs> yeah, that'll be huge this fans. week. We're very big fans um, of this work. So yes, thank you all for giving to the Patreon and check out all those interviews. I think we've had some really, really exciting stuff, and we're going to talk to this fella. More about Men in Black here coming up in the in the very near future. We'll be speaking with Nick Redfern because yeah. I want to ask him more questions about what he knows and how has it maybe affected his own personal life because I know it's like affecting mine because I'm seeing the flannel man, Uh-oh. which I don't think is good. From what like further reading I've done uh, from Nick Redfern about like other essays that he's written about the Men in Black, uh, he's just having a fucking great time with it. Man, he's, just, he's cool as shit. <laughs> he's, though, just, he's just like, man, this is so much fun. This is one of my favorite subjects. I love this. Oh. Always talk about Men in Black. I'll always write about Men in Black. Like, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, I want to thank everyone that we met in Portland as well. Oh, everyone yeah. was so incredible. That city was stunningly gorgeous. I, I really Portland. didn't know what to expect because the last time we were there was a snowstorm and this was like perfect weather. No, so we thanks. have genuine friends in Portland too yeah. and it's so oh, great. Yeah. It's so nice to always be there and see, see them. And, it was uh, great. But I would say uh, we're also going to be in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got the Comic-Con July 19th weekend. It's my birthday July 21st. Like, everyone needs to buy me a cake. You've never celebrated your birthday in public. Before. Brooke is forcing me to say happy because now I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> you I'll have try. to celebrate yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right. But you know. What? Birthdays are Birthdays are for the dying. <laughs> Funerals are for the living. Yes. I've always said it. Yes, it's true. But you are gonna be forty four years old. We're really excited to celebrate. Time crime. That's a time crime. That's a time, time crime. That is a time um, crime. We are going to be taking a short summer holiday. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we're going to be doing a subject that people have been asking us to do for a long time, and I'm very fucking excited. Yes. We have a bunch of shit in the pipeline that oh, is yeah. going to be we're gonna be doing a lot more weird shit mm-hmm. because I miss it. And yeah. I I'm not this lo- wasn't weird enough for you? No. This wasn't weird enough? I will make this my whole life. Hmm. I will eventually leave all of this. I will leave you. I will leave... I mean, like, Natalie will come with me only just because she's going to be legally bound to me and she's right. also interested in it. Where I'm going to... I'm going to yeah, be... you brought the courts into it. ...running <laughs> yeah. a Men in Black investigation at some point, also possibly trying to do the Anakian rights at some point because I want to see it for my fucking self. Right, right. right. All but right. I need to learn how to sit still because I will say the Headspace app I have, every time it reminds me to meditate, makes me want to shoot a bunch of people in the town square. <laughs> okay, no, we're all equally prepared. I hate that preparing. fucking app so much. Is some snooty yeah. British man it just talking like, at just me. Telling me to, you telling me to take down to meditate right the fuck now? That app gave me a panic attack. Yes, yes. it's doing it currently. <laughs> we're all ready for your Gary Busey meets Randy Quaid phase. It's going to be great. Uh, it's actually no, it's could be, be rejuvenating yeah. for my career. Yeah, maybe. Um, follow it's us on, for them. Uh, follow us on Twitter, which is the burning chariot taking us towards the end times at Henry Loves You at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel, who's for some reason back on. Well, I'm just dabbling and I wanted to spread the word of a couple of things. Mm. You know. Very good. And then also follow us on Instagram, the highlight reel of every single thing that you see <laughs> that is fake at Henry Loves You at Marcus Parks have been kissled the number one and follow everything yeah. last podcast on the left at LP on the left. And I don't know who Ben Kissel is on there. Because I, I looked for the Ben Kissel, and I think it's an account that I made. It's I quite possible. I very see you its account you made. <laughs> yes, it was just in 2012 when yeah. it started. Actually, I think we did have this conversation long ago where you made the Instagram account, and you're like, you I can't remember password. my password at Remake all. And you, again? Ca- and you can't remember what email address you signed it up with, and so you just made Ben Kissel one. I, well, and you again, know what? That's fine. But I will say this, too. Everything that we talked about in these last episodes could obviously be fake. We acknowledged it before. It's yes. like obviously it can be flights of fancy. People be uh, there, there are things that are that people misconstrue. They do that stuff. But just for mm-hmm. a second, if you allow yourself to open up your brain 
to all to let it in. You were surprised what else slips in there. Slips That's in right. there. Don't do that while driving uh, <laughs> or while operating heavy equipment. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. We love you. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gim. Magoostalations, everyone. And if I see a fucking man in black, I'm going to beat him to death that, with a tennis honest, racket. No, you're you're right. Wall, you, you're in Wall Street? That's I check a very all of them. I, <laughs> check all I don't know. You always check. Help me. All right. Talk to you soon. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.